Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro exactly one week too late. I was out of town last week and I was unable to get the podcast out for you to enjoy. I'm sorry. I hope you forgive me. But the good news is this one is the podcast from last week and tomorrow we're going to have the podcast from this week. So you get a double dose, a different church and you're welcome. So we've got two really awesome services and they kind of go back to back. So if you can, I would recommend listening to them in order. So do this one first and then do the next one later in the week. Um, I, I actually haven't listened to this one yet, but um, Hannah was excited about it. And if she's excited about it, I know that must mean that it's like a really good message. Um, we're talking about like the Bible, <laughs> a church talking about the Bible. Uh, like, what is it? What do we do with it? Um, what is it not? And uh, one of the specific things we're looking at is like the God of the Old Testament, who appears to be kind of a jerk. Like, why? What does that mean? And how should we feel about that? Anyway, buckle up because we're going hard today. I'm just kidding. It'll be fine. Everyone put your seatbelts on, though, because we are answering the questions that are most asked These are the two most asked questions of all time at different church. Number one, why do you care about the Bible? And number two, but what do we do with the God of the Old Testament? He's so mean. So we're going to answer those questions today. I'm very excited. Um, I'm going to actually begin with a quote from someone named Brian McLaren. He is a prolific progressive theologian and writer. And he said this, I have spent my entire life learning, understanding, reappraising, wrestling with, trusting, applying, and obeying the Bible, and trying to convince other people to do the same. I believe the Bible is a gift from God, inspired by God, to benefit us in the most important way possible, equipping us so that we can benefit others, so that we can play our part in the ongoing mission of God. My regard for the Bible is higher than ever. Have any of you been asked by family members, friends, concerned Christians, if you even believe in the Bible anymore? Yes, I have. Um, My own mom asked me that. (laughs) She was like, I just, do you even take this seriously anymore? And I was like, I'm literally, my whole life is this. Um, If I did not take the Bible and God seriously, I would not be doing this every Sunday. (laughs) Um, But I grew up being taught that the Bible was an answer book. It was, it would give us the kind of information that an encyclopedia of life would give us. You could look up things to help you in your life. We have questions, right? Like, when was the earth created? Was it in six literal 24-hour periods? When will the world end? How will the world end? Um, We want, at least in my space growing up, we wanted simple, clear, efficient, and convenient plans for getting to heaven after death. And between now and then, between the point where we die, we wanted like a clear assurance from God that God did not like the people that we didn't like. And for the same reasons we didn't like them, we wanted a rule book that made it very clear, no subjective ambiguity, what behaviors were right and wrong for all time, in all places, and in all cultures. Here's the list. Don't do these things. For everyone, everywhere forever. Especially we love those rules if um, they confirmed our views 
and not those of liberal people, whatever that means. Okay, so I was taught that the Bible actually fulfilled these requirements. But it does not. <laughs> um, and that doesn't mean I have a lower regard for the Bible. Like we are here because we take it seriously, right? Not because we're trying to burn it down. Um, I do regard it very highly, perhaps irritatingly highly to some of you. I've had many conversations where people are like, can you stop with the Bible? No, I cannot. It's so great. <laughs> and I think it is great because I actually hope that I'm regarding the Bible in the way that the Bible tells me to. If you consult the Bible itself, there are quite a few passages that talk about what it is, what it comes from, but there's one very pivotal one that probably we have all heard if we grew up in an evangelical church of any kind. It's from Paul, a church leader, written to his young protege, Timothy, around AD 67. So 67 years after Jesus was born-ish. And Paul was alone and sad in a cold prison. And Timothy was out in the world, but having a really hard time. He was trying to grow a church and they were being persecuted all over the place. And Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then these are the words. These are the words we always hear. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Y'all heard this verse before? <laughs> it's your favorite verse. Oh, a memory verse. I was like, wow, that, I've never heard someone be like, you know what is my favorite verse? <laughs> All scripture is God breathed. Okay, let's unpack this. What's a modern equivalent of unpack this? Let's do an unboxing video <laughs> of this verse. What is meant by God breathed? Because from the very beginning of the Bible, God's breath is associated with creation and life and vitality and wonder, right? God breathes in Genesis 1 and says, let there be. And then whatever possibility happens, light and trees and people and oceans, it all just appears. And the sacred breath of God is associated with God's spirit, the breath of God that gives life to the world. It gives life to every person. So to say scripture is God breathed, it's to use the language of creation, of something coming into being. Like if you think of the difference between like a corpse and a living person, that's the difference between words and words that are God-breathed. Does that help us at all? No. <laughs> no, it really does not. So even with that in our mind, like how are we supposed to understand the interaction between God's breath or God's impulse and human impulses that came together somehow to make the Bible? because it was very obviously written by one human being in a specific time and place to another human being, Paul to Timothy. And it dealt with a very specific situation and need and bore all the marks of Paul's humanity, including his personal opinions and biases. Um, here's an analogy. I am a real human person with a name. And I also have an assortment of numbers that certify me as things like a driver, a phone owner, a citizen of the United States, a credit card holder, more than one of those. All these numbers, they say, there is Hannah. We have numbers to prove it. We have a name to prove it, right? Like every other human, I'm both the creation of God and the procreation of my parents. And 
friends and family and culture and authors and TV and all the things that made me who I am today and the way that God willed me, the way that God said, let there be, and then I was created is a complex arrangement of biology and community and history and my own will and my own choices. And the um, these origins, right? My parents and society, they don't decrease in any way the reality of God as my ultimate creator. The one who says through all these different ways, let there be Hannah. And there was Hannah, <laughs> right? So in the same way that scripture is something that God has let it be. And it's at once God's creation and the creation of the dozens of people and communities and cultures that produced it. One does not lessen or nullify the other. And we get trapped, okay, because we should be holding onto these two dimensions as friends. We should be holding them together. They benefit each other, but we get trapped in separating them and going to wild extremes. So the extreme that many of us grew up in, right, is, I'm skipping way ahead, but who cares? <laughs> I can do whatever I want. It's my notes, right? Okay, so we skip. The extreme that many of us grew up in is that God dictated the Bible. Like God beamed into someone's brain and took over them. And they didn't have any thoughts at all. They couldn't because God was taking up all of their brain space. And they just wrote the words, including punctuation, mind you, and verse numbers, which weren't even there. And they just, it just came out. God dictated it syllable for syllable. And that is what we have. It has no personality, no community, no culture, no historical context. So this is the words for all time, in all places, no matter what. And then as a, a reaction to that, <laughs> we have run so far to the other side and we're like, well, the personalities of the people who wrote it and the culture and the historical context and the domination of history and, and the empire, they have just explained the Bible completely. They've just edged out God entirely. And so we tend to kind of look at the Bible as an embarrassment it's a bunch of primitive, superstitious words that are not useful for anything, except as a window into ancient culture, somehow. Neither of those are helpful. An extreme on anything is not helpful, right? And also, just a side note, the word, word of God, the phrase word of God, that doesn't occur in the Bible anywhere to refer to the Bible. <laughs> um, it could not have because the Bible as a collection of 66 books was not created at that point. In fact, the only thing that was canonized or collected was the Hebrew scriptures. And that is the only thing that Paul could have been referring to. And we're like, well, God meant for him to have meant it for the whole thing. Sure, <laughs> maybe, but that's not, that's not the point, right? So it, this, this is a very it's a delicate balancing act that we tend to do when we don't know what to do with the Bible. Just like if you're trying to balance on a bicycle when it's not moving, you will fall down. When we are trying to do anything or understand the Bible, when we're not moving in our mission forward, you will crash because it's impossible to look at the Bible and be like, well, let's explain it clearly and completely for everyone for all time, the end. And obviously we're the ones with the right answer. No one else. The best way to use scripture is actually not to concentrate on our use of scripture at all, but to focus on our pursuit of mission, which is actually what Paul told Timothy to do. Paul says it's good for equipping people to do good works and does this through teaching, telling you what's true and right, rebuking, helping us see where we might go wrong, correcting, 
showing us how to get back on the right path, and training and justice, educating us on the skill of staying on the right path. Interestingly, when scripture talks about itself, it does not use any of this language that we so often use in our explanation of the value of the Bible. Okay, modern Western Christians, these words come up a lot. Authority. Inerrancy. Infallibility. Revelation. Objective. Absolute. Literal. Many churches or denominations won't even let people be like members if you don't sign a doctrinal statement that includes those words. I came from such a place. (laughs) But, okay, fine. But do we ever stop and think, why are these words important in the first place? No one is like, oh, I wonder where infallibility and inerrancy and authority came from. Perhaps they were a reaction to the Enlightenment and... We have to think about the stories of Isaac Newton and David Hume and Rene Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. The context in which those words were so important because it felt like everything was crumbling and those words were important in a theological space to say, no, this is how we're going to differentiate ourselves. But we're like, oh, we're several hundred years later and it's totally fine to use those words now. Even though those, none of those words occur in the Bible to reference the Bible, And do we understand the irony of like using words that aren't in the Bible to talk about the authority of the Bible? We are using things that don't ask us in any way. The Bible is not like, here is what you need to believe about the Bible so that you can get a check mark from God. Infallibility. (laughs) No, it's not in there. In fact, I have never in my life, and I have born in church, okay? I've been in church since before I could even breathe in the world. I have never heard a church or denomination do this as a doctrinal statement of faith. The purpose of scripture is to equip God's people for good works, which is in fact what it actually says in the Bible (laughs) that we just read, and that's what Paul said. Instead, we get trapped in what he said at the beginning, like, yes, correcting and rebuking. That's where we want to land. We just want to tell people they're wrong all the time. We don't want to do any good works. That sounds hard. (laughs) That requires effort. Shouldn't a statement like that, the purpose of scripture is to equip God's people for good works, be more important to us than words that are completely foreign to the Bible's vocabulary? It's no surprise that like biblical Christians have like excelled when we've used the Bible with the goal of becoming good people who, because we follow Jesus, do good works in God's good world. And we have done a lot of harm when we have used the Bible as a weapon to threaten other people, as a tool to intimidate people and prove them wrong, as a shortcut to being know-it-alls who believe the Bible gives us an answer for every situation ever, as a defense of the status quo. None of those things were the use that Paul wanted Timothy to make of the scriptures. But if we think about like biblical Christians of every kind, like Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, liberal, conservative, doesn't matter, all of them, what have they done when they've actually understood the Bible? They've left their homes and gone around the world building hospitals and schools. They have given money to people around the globe, many of them voluntarily living at 90% of their income. They have crossed racial barriers and ethnic barriers and class barriers and saw all people as friends. They've chosen to suffer rather than betray their faith or hurt other people. 
And no less important than that, they've done their work as teachers and farmers and scientists and homemakers and chefs and a million other jobs. They have seen as a divine occupation. Their good works included doing good work in everyday life and was part of their holy, sacred occupation in God's creation. Why? Because they understood the real purpose of scripture. They've never been perfect. They've often been wonderful. It's really easy to get stuck in the negative. There's so much negative, right? I feel like I'm gonna say this again. I want you to hear this, because if it was all bad, we wouldn't be here. Christians have never been perfect, but they have often been wonderful. Now, I do need to admit that the Bible is like both a blessing and a problem to me. The more I learn from Jesus, the more I cringe when I read passages in the Bible where the God of love and universal compassion allegedly commands what we would call brutality and murder, like ethnic cleansing. I am deeply disturbed when biblical passages are used to reinforce this like deterministic, fatalistic, escapist view of reality to assert the subjugation of men over women, to justify a careless attitude toward our planet. And when I introduce the Bible to my friends, these things jump out at them and they wonder how a nice person like me could be so excited about what seems like such a barbaric book. I'm trying to explain again and again. The problem isn't the Bible. It's our modern understanding of the Bible. It's our modern interpretative approach to the Bible, our modern assumptions of it. There's a better way to understand and and apply the Bible to our lives, and we need to reclaim the Bible as a narrative. What does that mean? The Bible is a story. And just because it recounts by standards of accuracy acceptable to its original audience, what happened, that doesn't mean that it's telling us what should always happen or what should have happened. I think we're talking about the God of the Old Testament, right? And people have deep problems with this. And there's many answers to this question, philosophical, theological, logical, all kinds of them. But I'm gonna give you a really human answer because I think it's the one that makes the most sense. We have to begin with recognizing how violent the world of the ancient Middle East was. The violence of the Israelites entering Canaan was not extraordinary. It was typical. It's what everybody did. And so we have to ask, like, in that context, was God commanding these people to do not what was ideal or what was ethically desirable for all people for all time, but only what was necessary for them to survive in the world? Was there another viable alternative for a group of wandering, homeless, liberated slaves who were entering into hostile territory? Was there another option for them other than to fight? In other words, assuming history is real and we're not just like trapped in the matrix or we're not just NPCs in God's video game where everything is tightly controlled, then if God is going to enter into any kind of relationship with real human persons, in real life, then God has to somehow work with them. 
where they are in their moral and cultural development. And back in those days, that meant that if any group of people was going to survive, they had to fight. Well, it doesn't make us feel better, does it? Nope. How barbaric. How, if God is really a good God and God could do anything, then couldn't God have made it be another way? No excuse. Okay, I have two analogies. This is the human part of the answer. First, we're in America. We're Americans here, right? Our nation was founded on land theft. Countless broken trees on suppression, exclusion, ethnic cleansing, and near eradication of the people who inhabited this land, indigenous peoples. That's what our nation was founded on. And then, having done all of that and stolen the land, our forefathers then prospered by the enslavement and subjugation of an entire another people group, African people. And now we see America, what, attempting to dominate the world and see our self-interest as our prime directive? Everything I know of God tells me that God was outraged by the atrocities of our ancestors here in this country and brokenhearted for the victims, and that God remains outraged by our continued arrogance as a country. But what's God supposed to do here? Should God forever curse all Americans? Should God refuse to hear us when we pray? Should God refuse to be involved in our lives at all? Just forsake entirely generations and generations of American children of every age and race and sex and class and ethnicity for all time because of our original American Holocaust? Wouldn't God being involved, choosing to be involved with the people of a nation that was so conceived and born of blood and theft imply an endorsement of the atrocities we've committed? Furthermore, what country does not have violence in their heritage? Because we're all descended from people like the Canaanites and the Israelites. If God's involved with anyone, if God blesses anyone, then he has to bless the violent and the children of the violent because there's no one else. That's not an excuse, but it is reality. We cannot remove ourselves from this equation. We can't stand in lofty judgment above the people in the Bible and above the God of the Bible while at the same time ignoring what is on our hands as a nation. There is no other raw material for God to work with. But this often violent, primitive, ugly material, humans, and if God wants a nonviolent and a kind humanity in the future, then somehow God has to enter this heartbreaking relationship with humans where they are, just like parents, if they want like a mature, delightful adult child, have to start with a screaming, pooping, illiterate baby who doesn't sleep. And we're all like, none of us to a parent is like, have you thought about just, you know, seems like a lot of work you know, they're probably going to disappoint you. They're probably actually going to hurt you on purpose. 
at some point. What are you going to do? Just going to off them? Off with their head. No. Because we would never do that, right? That's analogy number one. Y'all can come back up here. Analogy number two. I want us to consider our civilization today. Use all of your imaginative powers in your brain, okay? Imagine in a thousand years from now in a world ravaged by the use of fossil fuels and nuclear weapons and um, endless waste from the Industrial Revolution and the extinction of species and pollution of water. And our descendants look back and they're like, dang, that was the most destructive era in human history. They might say something like this. How could God have ever blessed those people? How could God have ever listened to those people when they prayed? How could God have ever been involved in those people when their entire existence was based on consumption and destruction and like they created things to actually destroy the planet and like they did all of that? Wasn't God's blessing them a sign of approval of their ways? And we would protest, right? We didn't know. We didn't know. I mean, some of us knew. Like some people knew and they tried to warn us, but we were just like really busy, okay? We were really busy with our lives and like very self-absorbed, which is totally fine. That's a very human thing to do. We were just trying to survive, we would say. We didn't know the damage we were doing long-term. We didn't know. I'm sure the Israelites weren't like, you know what, when we go to Canaan, someone's gonna be judging us in 4,000 years for this. (laughs) No one's thinking this. We're, We're gonna protest. It's just how everyone lived. It's just what we do. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean to do that. And maybe God would protest too, saying, I did not approve of what they did, but guess what? I loved them. I loved them. I wanted them to survive for their sake and for your sake so that you would survive. According to the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, while God is commanding the destruction of Canaan, God is simultaneously commanding that the second the Israelites have secured a place to live, that they cut it out, that they have no more violence, that they treat neighbors, foreigners, anyone with respect and kindness. God specifically tells them not to build an empire. He says, don't conquer all your neighbors. Don't try to assimilate everyone. After all, you came from Egypt where they did that to you. That's repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. Don't do what they did to you. Just get a place to live and then calm down. God strictly limits the violence and actually leads the Jews to create a society that is an ethical step above the other cultures in that day. world progresses and then Jesus comes with a new command, love one another, but especially your enemies. Do good to one another. Forgive one another. Don't inflict revenge. Don't hold tightly to what you have. Don't take from other people. What if God could never have gotten to that point where Jesus says, love God and love people without first working with the violent, cool people at the beginning? face sadly but honestly the reality that in many circumstances people who say they follow Jesus have violated the plot line of progression because it should be like this we should be going more and more and more towards more good and more acceptance and more love and more hope and all of that right but um there's some people 
and churches and leaders and governments who just reverse the flow. They're like, ah, oh, kindness seems good, but what about ethnic cleansing? Um, accepting everyone seems good, but what about slavery? Because money. We can look back at this flow for 2,000 years before Christ was born, like all of this, and then Jesus, and then all of this that's happened since, and see all the leaders and governments and churches and us <laughs> that have hijacked the trajectory and tried to crash it into the ground. And guess what? It didn't. Do you know why I believe everyone is good inside? It's because we're still here. And I think if we weren't, we wouldn't be. <laughs> what a miracle. What a blessing. But we have a choice too. Will our readings of the Bible betray the way of Jesus in our day? Or will they set our course forward to what God dreams for us? The narrative approach, seeing the Bible as a story, it doesn't, it's not gonna like lessen the upset feelings we have when we read about horrible things in the Old Testament. It won't take the feeling away, but it does help us turn the Bible back into what it is, which is not a look it up encyclopedia of timeless moral truths, but the unfolding story of God. At work, always at work in a violent world to bring good and bring life and call people into a new way of life and a new way of being that is not based on power and control and fear, but actually based on love and belonging and seeing the beautiful soul in every person. To be truly biblical does not mean you're preoccupied with some golden age of the way it used to be and that's what we should believe, etc. It means we've learned from our past, our ancient past, and yesterday, so that we can let God's story and our story unfold together in us and in our children and in our great-grandchildren. And you might be like, mm, I don't like it. I don't like this human answer. It didn't give me what I wanted, which was to say, that's a different God. We don't do that anymore. We do. We're the same people. It's a completely different way of being biblical, like orthodoxy, right belief. It's a different feel when you think of it as the story of humans and God progressing towards wholeness. It feels a lot more generous, a lot more open. Yep.